High Praise Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Garrett, Youth Pastor at High Praise Panama City. I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. No matter if you just missed a service or if you happen to stumble across our show, we believe and we pray that God is going to bless you through today's episode. So open up your hearts, receive what God has in store for you. Tonight's message is called A Haunted Heart. Um, Very simply put, I'm basically going to skip kind of my intro, just so you know. Um, tonight I want to talk about uh, basically the things that haunt us. Um, it's, it's October, and for whatever reason, um, that just means that every movie, every Netflix show, every advertisement has to do with the supernatural, the exorcisms, all this other stuff. I do think it's funny, though, to have like a society and a culture that so much rejects God, but is so obsessed with what we would call his enemy. It's really weird. Um, But anyway, and I had some statistics, but we'll just bypass that part. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about the things that haunt you. Um, But full disclosure, we're not talking about ghosts. We're not talking about demons. I'm not talking about the cabinet in your kitchen that opens during the night and it closes. And you're not sure what the sound is. I'm not talking about the boogeyman under your bed. Um, Maybe a different night. We'll talk about those things. I could tell you some stories. Uh, Tonight, though, I want to talk about the things that we carry with us. So everyone say trauma. Trauma. Everyone say drama. Drama. Everyone say drama, trauma. I'm going to tell you a little story about one of the most traumatic things that's ever happened in my life. In 2011, it's hard for me to talk about. I'm serious. It's not the mayonnaise thing. In 2011, uh, let me preface this. So... I have a favorite baseball team. Um, I grew up going to Texas Ranger games for most of my life, um, from the time I was like 10 till like 18, went like just all the time. And we were awful from about 2004 to 2010. So like seven years, we were absolutely terrible, but I still went and I loved it. It was wonderful, great time, part of my childhood. 2010, we win our division and we go make it to the World Series. And I was a junior in high school. So where are the juniors at? Okay, I was Brooks's age, um, just not as handsome. And <laughs> we made it to the World Series, and we got swept by the Giants. And I questioned God's existence at that time. Um, the next year, we are even better. We're the number one seed, and we make it to the World Series again. We're playing the St. Louis Cardinals. And they're the wild card, and they're supposed to, they're like, we're supposed to demolish them. And the series is tied. It's 2011. This time I'm a senior. I've been saved by grace through faith, through the cross. I'm a different person. Um, in 2011, we go to the World Series. We're supposed to win, and we are on the brink of winning. It's the bottom of the ninth. It's in St. Louis. We are one strike away. If we strike, if we get this out, we win the World Series. The Rangers have never won a World Series in their history, ever. And I have been watching this team for years. And a man named David Freeze gets in the batter's box and hits a triple and scores the winning run, and we lose the World Series. I have never been so angry or depressed in my life. And that's a severe exaggeration, but I need you to understand how upset I was. And since that moment, we have been god-awful. 
Um, just absolutely terrible. Didn't go, haven't been to the playoffs. Until this year, we're back in the playoffs. We're actually going to the ALCS. And I'm telling you this story because last night, the Rangers were playing, and uh, we were playing the Orioles. And if we win, we go to the American League Championship Series, series before the World Series. And the entire time, we're up like 7-1, to one, like in the ninth inning. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just enjoying the mess out of this because since I was a senior in high school, this has not happened for me. And I watch 162 games a year. Okay, so this is a big deal. We're winning, and the announcer goes, the Rangers are going back to the ALCS for the first time in 2011. We all know how that ended. And instantly, I got nauseous. Because here I am enjoying this great moment for me, that my entire family's asleep, and I'm enjoying this wonderful big grin on my face in the couch, just like fist pumping, because, you know, me, I've contributed to this team, Right? And then all they want to talk about is one of the most colossal, uh, I can't remember the exact words, I blacked out, but basically it's talking about how horribly this ended in 2011. And so I'm trying to enjoy this moment, and I can't, because all I'm remembering is how bad 2011 was to me. I don't have good thoughts when it comes to most sports. Like, anyone else here an avid sports fan? Okay. Okay, so you understand a little bit of what I'm talking about. At some point in a young person's life, you attach yourself to a sports team who will do nothing but cause trauma for you for the rest of your life, except for maybe once a decade, they will bring you joy, and that's it. It's one of the most, it is the most abusive relationship I've ever had in my life, is rooting for this stinking baseball team. Becca can tell you. Where are you at? She knows. She knows. How many times have we gone to Ranger games and they've been awful? Every time. Every time. We flew to Dallas one year to watch them play the Yankees. And Aaron Judge hit three home runs. And we got destroyed. I'm telling you all this for a reason. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, just, just bear with me. I'm trying to enjoy this monumentous moment. And here I am thinking about how badly this can go. And I've already written this message last night, and the Lord kind of dropped something on my lap. And in the same way that I am allowing for these past memories to kind of ruin my present, I realize that I have been doing this my entire stinking life. Um, I'm going to be a little careful with some of my words tonight just because this is is on... uh, all of our sermons go on a podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Uh, so if you need to go back and listen to this because I've already lost you talking about baseball, you can go back and listen to it. But things, and I'm just going to tell you another kind of abbreviated story. Uh, when Jackson was born, my oldest, my first born child, Jackson, was back, born in 2017. And when Jackson was born, if you don't know, and I don't have time to tell you all this, I did not have a good childhood at all. I do not have good relationships with my parents, specifically my mother. And so when you, I was holding Jackson for the first time, we actually we had just brought Jackson home. And at that point, when you have a baby, your life is consumed with that baby. We just had our third, Madeline. Nothing else matters right now than MJ. Like the house could be falling apart. And as long as MJ's okay and smiling at me, I don't care. Like having a baby is the, listen, I, you will love your spouse one day. Okay. Anyone else in here have kids? No? You're going once? Oh, there you are. Mackenzie. Hey, good job. Mackenzie knows what I'm talking about. You will love your spouse one day. 
And you will love them because you will choose to love them. But when you have kids, you realize how violent you can be, okay? Because at that moment, you love them in a way that you don't understand love, in a way that if like anything threatened one of my children, I'd happily go to prison. Like happily would just say, hey guys, I love y'all. This ministry time's been great. Someone else is going to take over, but I'm going to jail for the rest of my life because someone hurt my kid. And I would serve God in prison with a smile on my face the rest of my life if someone tried to hurt one of my children, just being honest, specifically one of my girls, because now I have two girls, and that's scary. Where are we at? Jackson's born. We bring Jackson home. And I haven't talked to my, at this point, I had not talked to my mom for probably a decade. And my mom sends me this long message on Instagram, right? Just about how beautiful Jackson is, about how lovely and just how proud she is, blah, 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 blah. My mom abandoned me like when I was in elementary school. And rage came over me. And I did not respond godly. I didn't, I'm not, just did not respond well. And again, it brings me back to these moments where every time, some, every time something happens, we always compare it back to something else. See, last night I'm trying to enjoy a baseball game and I can't because I'm thinking about how badly it went. When I had Jackson and I realized how much I love my kid, all I could think about was, why, why, well, why did my parents not love me this way? When I, when I came on staff at High Praise, all I thought of was how badly this, is in, this ended the last time I was in a youth pastor position. You get what I'm saying? And so as things have progressed in life, even the most beautiful things that have happened to me, still in the midst of God's goodness, his grace, and his mercy, I've sat there and said, well, I know how bad this can be. Right? And so this is essentially what I want to talk about because something no one ever did for me when I was your age was sit down and have conversations about the things that have traumatized us. It's, it never happened for me. It took me years for someone to have honest conversations about real things like abandonment, like abuse, like neglect. It took, and, and I don't want that for you. Okay, so I, we are just going to hit on some heavy, or heavier things tonight. Not because like this just brings me so much joy, and not because I just want to be depressing, but... I do at least want to open the door for you to be able to have these conversations for one with yourself, but also with your youth leaders and other people in your life. Because I know, I know just statistically, at least half uh, statistics say now that one in four kids experience abuse by the time they're 12 years old. One in four. Everyone in here is probably 12 years and older. Okay, or at least very, very, very close to it. It's 25%. And that's reported abuse. And there's a big difference between what gets reported and what actually happens. 64% of teenagers report a traumatic event happening in their life by the time they're 18. And again, 64% that reported, not 64%. You get what I'm saying? So if anything, those are low numbers. Those are, those, those are the ones that were honest. Not the, not the ones that were like, oh, no, not me. I'm fine. That never happened to me. So I know I can share this message, and I know we can have this conversation, and I know I'm not just talking to one person in the room. I know that. I know when I was your age, I needed to have, I wish someone would have had this conversation with me. And if you've been in church for any period of time, you've probably heard the word freedom uh, I mean, we just uh, entered into a time of, of praying for, for addiction. We, 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 we throw around certain words like deliverance. 
And all of these things are available to you in Christ Jesus, but so many of us are hesitant to go after these things because freedom for all of you requires a cost, a cost that many of us, especially young men, are not willing to pay. We do not want to pay the cost of having an open and honest conversation. Go listen to our Be Real series, Being Real with Others. But so many of you have put a limit on what God is doing in your life, what freedom, what, even what joy he can bring in your life, simply because you have bottled some things up and you have decided that it's just better off that these remain here. And guys, I understand because I did that for years, for years. Because uh, young men, let's just be honest for, with ourselves for a moment. It's way easier if something has happened to us that we didn't understand, we didn't like, especially as a child, to just say, I don't ever have to talk about that again. And we think that is peace. And we think that is joy to say no one will ever know. And we satisfy ourselves thinking that's enough peace for me, knowing that I don't ever have to talk about this. The answer just to be, and you're, most of you might roll your eyes or be like, okay, here comes the, the cheesy Christian answer, but I'm going to prove it to you in just a moment. And hear me, we're, I'm proving this to you, not because I've read it or took a class in college on it. I'm, I'm, this is 100% what I've had to live through in my own life. So this is, this is real life experience. This is not just like, oh, Garrett took a class on psychology and he's figured it out. Italy, will you throw that verse up there for me real quick? Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39 say this, and you've, you should have heard this by now if you've been in church for longer than 10 minutes. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you've heard me preach at all this year, I have probably mentioned this many, many times. It would be a bad preacher and a bad pastor if we did not talk about the first commandment more than once or twice a year. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The epidemic that is happening in your generation is severely misunderstood. The epidemic that I see happening in your generation is a generation that claims to love God but has no idea to, how to love themselves and therefore has no idea how to love other people. The church is not failing because we don't know how to have good services. The church is failing simply because we do not know how to love. And we have forgotten how to love because we've been raised in a culture, in a world, in a society that teaches young people that they have no value. And when kids, your generation specifically, goes from being the hurt eight-year-old kid to now a, your generation is, is already, and some of you are, are vastly quickly getting there, really starting to contribute to society and become adults. We have a generation that is traumatized, that has been told to get over it. This is who you are. And somewhere along the way, we have added Christ. Some of us have added Christ to, to our hearts, our minds. We've added church to our routines. We've gotten saved, but we have not become made new, and we have not found freedom. And how damaging is a church that does not know how to love people? How backwards would it be? Because one day, and the day is now here, 
where your generation will be the main, uh, the, the backbone, the, the leadership, the pastors, the missionaries, the, the business owners, the um, whatever title you want to give it, you're going to be the main influencers on the world. And so we're having this conversation because most importantly, this conversation, just to be honest with you, is not about loving other people. This conversation is about being able to love yourself. Because honestly, just being completely honest, and you're like, oh great, this dude's about to talk about self-help and self-love, blah, 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 blah. So many of us, have you have devalued yourself for so long. And I think I might have said this at Pursuit this past week, I can't remember. You have devalued yourself for so long. It's not, you don't struggle with, with believing that God is real. We struggle with believing, is God good? Is, does, or maybe even this, does God actually love me? I don't, I, I have not had to have in my 10 years in youth ministry many conversations. I've had to have them, but not as many conversations about if God exists, if it's even feasible and, and, and all this other stuff. I, the most conversations I have to have about with young people that struggle with God is the question, well, is God good? And every time I have to have a counseling session with a teenager about answering the question, well, is God actually good? It all boils down to one thing. They were not treated well by people. And so when you're not treated well as a person, you're not treated well by parents, you're not treated well by grandparents or your caretakers or people like this, you've already, uh, by the time you're 15, 16, you have a hard time believing that anyone actually loves you or that you are of any value. But then here comes the church, here comes the gospel that says God loves you and he died for you and he sacrificed for you. But you have a hard time believing that. Your instinct is to not believe that. Because your instincts when told you that mom and dad would love you and they failed you. You were born with instincts that would tell you you'd be naturally taken care of by your parents. And statistically, that is not true for more than half of you in this room. And for some of you, even way more severe than just that. And so your instincts, the things that you, you you're just natural born belief system has been wrong since as early as you can remember. And so here we come and say, well, there's a God right? There's a God that created everything, and he loves you, and he sacrificed for you. Well, then why? It amazes me. It amazes me why we, the church Christians, get so surprised when your generation is skeptical of God. I don't think your generation is skeptical of God because they wonder if God's real necessarily. I think it's more skeptical of like, well, if God's good, then why does blah, 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 blah happen? Because if mom and dad were good, this, 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 and this wouldn't have happened. Right, and so this is the this is kind of the crux we're going to be on tonight. Um, I'm I'm going to read you um, part of an article from Walden University. Um, I genuinely love love psychology. Um, I, I love like kind of diving into why people behave the way they do, especially early childhood development, all of these things. I think it has a lot. I think science is a beautiful thing that has a lot to tell us about who we are as human beings. And a few, a few years ago, Walden University did a study on how early traumatic stress affects teenagers, how it affects them as we grow up. And I read this article um, for the first time a few years ago, and, and I mean, I, it, has, it has literally stuck with me ever since. Um, so what I'm about to read to you, I'm not reading to you out of like some Christian book or some self-help book. I'm literally reading you a, a, a publicly uh, documented study from Walden University on childhood. I want you, please... Please, I beg of you, do not wander off, okay? 
Listen to what I'm about to read to you and apply this to your life because some of you, some light bulbs I think will start to go off because you are going to realize. Shut up, Gary. Don't say shut up in church. What's wrong with you all? Um, All right, here we go. The importance of a child's close relationship with a caregiver cannot be overestimated. Through relationships with important attachment figures, children learn to trust others, regulate their emotions, and interact with the world. They develop a sense of the world as safe or unsafe and come to understand their own value as individuals. When those relationships are unstable or unpredictable, children learn that they cannot rely on others to help them. When primary caregivers exploit or abuse a child, the child learns that he or she is bad and the world is a terrible place. The majority of abused, listen, the majority of abused or neglected children have difficulty developing a strong, healthy attachment to a caregiver. Children who do not have healthy attachments have been shown to be more vulnerable to stress your generation. They have trouble controlling and expressing emotions and may react violently or inappropriately to situations. Our ability to develop healthy, supportive relationships with friends and significant others depends on our having first developed those kinds of relationships in our families. Wonder why your generation is the hookup generation. A child with a complex trauma history may have problems in romantic relationships and friendships and with authority figures such as teachers or police officers. Sounds like your generation. Having learned that the world is a dangerous place where even loved ones can't be trusted to protect you, children are often vigilant, sorry, vigilant, and guarded in their interactions with others and are more likely to perceive situations as stressful or dangerous. While this defensive posture is protective when an individual is under attack, it becomes problematic in situations that do not warrant such interactions. Alternatively, listen, many children also learn to tune out or become emotionally numb as to not make themselves vulnerable to re-victimization. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let me finish this. Difficulty managing emotions is pervasive and occurs in the absence of relationships as well. Having never learned how to calm themselves down once they are upset, listen, having never learned how to calm themselves down once they're upset, many of these children become easily overwhelmed or have anxiety. Y'all get the trend by now. For example, in school, they may become so frustrated they give up on even small tasks that present a challenge. Children who have experienced early and intense traumatic events also have an increased likelihood of being fearful all the time and in many situations. They are more likely to experience depression and anxiety as well. Your generation. I want to make something very clear. I'm not giving you an excuse for how you act, but I want you to have a better understanding of why maybe some of you act the way you do or why you have some of the struggles that you do. Because here's what happens, and this is what really like hurts me as a youth pastor. So many young men just get called emotionless and angry, but really it's because they didn't have a proper mom to help them learn how to emotionally mature. So many girls get called boy crazy and other really not nice words that I'm not gonna say in this microphone, But I know it's not that they're just boy crazy because something's wrong with them. I know that they didn't have a dad who showed them value. I could do this probably for the next 30 minutes. So many of you, um, so many of you even get called like a lost cause or they're problematic 
They're dramatic. They cause problems in school. They have all this stuff. Blah, 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 blah. Some of you get called, well, I don't know. I just, they don't talk to anyone. They just sit in the room all the time. They don't talk. They do this, blah, 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 and they're emotionally numb. I know that you're just trying to avoid being re-victimized in an area that you've been victimized before. There's so, I don't have the, I, we can talk about this the next three weeks. There is so much that you need to dive into. We, we, use the, we commonly use the term processing your past in church. Because these things right here are having a direct effect on your ability to have a relationship with God and have a relationship with other people. That is why we're having this conversation. Those of you that have experienced early traumatic events in childhood through abuse, through bad parents, through neglect, through abandonment, through a hundred other things are causing issues in your life that you are getting hung up on, stressed out about, and banging your head against the altar wanting God to fix it. And hear me, he will fix it. But you have got to open up these crates that you have long packed away and willingly let the Lord and let other people help you find healing in areas that are still bearing fruit in your life right now. Young ladies, you are not boy crazy. You just, you don't know your value. Young men, you are not angry and emotionless. You just, your mother failed you. You're not a lost cause. You're just scared to be re-victimized. Your anxiety, you weren't just born with anxiety. You weren't just born with depression. You weren't just born emotionally insecure. Like these things didn't just happen because, because you were made this way. Things have happened to you in your life that you need to have a deeper understanding of. And I'm not going to go heavy into this. I am literally the product of a one night stand between a man and a woman who lived in different states who hooked up with each other because they dated in high school. They then later divorced three different times. I was raised in meth houses for the first 10 years of my life. I've done it all, seen it all, experienced it all. I get it. You got problems, I've had them. Like I said, I'm not preaching this message because I read about it and it sounded good and this article was nice. We're having this conversation because I know what real freedom comes at. And it does not come just by someone praying over you. It comes by dealing with your baggage. It's going to happen for you in your life. But you are going to have to accept what has happened to you and accept that it is not your fault. Please understand something. This is, the, this is the gospel message. And this is why the world is having such a hard time accepting the gospel. It's because the world, people no longer believe that they have any value. The family itself has, has crumbled. Parents and, and, and the, 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 are failing. And we are failing young people. The gospel message is literally that there is a God in, I mean, John 3, 16, that he so loved the world that everything the Lord has done has literally been out of his love for you as an individual. This is the hardest thing about ministering to your generation is not proving that God exists. It is not not entertaining you. It is not having good worship. It is not having a good service or having small groups. It is about getting you to believe that God actually loves you. 
because I have preached to this generation for a decade and stared at young people in the face trying to get them to understand that God actually loves you. But until you get over, and I'm not, I don't mean that lightly, I don't mean that to, to harshly, but so many of us will never admit, man, mom, my mom did not love me, my dad did not love me. You want me to believe a God I can't see loves me. And I understand that struggle. And we have all these reasons and excuses, and these are the things that are actually going on in the back of our head. And this is why so many of you do not choose God except for in these moments. It is easier for you to accept that maybe God does love you here when, 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 when in this environment. But the moment you are reminded of your circumstances or your past or your trauma or the things that haunt you come up, it's not that you don't believe that God exists anymore. It's simply you revert back to believing that you are not loved. And a generation that does not believe that they are loved is making awful, awful decisions. It is why you've been called the most anxious generation. You've been called the, the hookup generation. Those two things alone prove my point here tonight to you guys. Your generation is known for two things right now. Hooking up and anxiety. Desperately trying to find physical affection and love through the cheapest way possible and cursed and haunted by anxiety. Because even as a child, you did not have the ability to have peace or love in your own home. This is what is plaguing your generation. Really quick, I want to read you a story. This is a story we do, I do not, we do not talk about enough. This is John 8, 3 through 11. Worship team, y'all go ahead and come up. John 8, verses 3 through 11. It says the Pharisees and the, I'm sorry, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him that they might have a charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, the most some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture neither do I condemn you neither do I condemn you I need to you've got to grab a hold of this moment Jesus is teaching in the inner courts hundreds and probably thousands of people around the, the scribes the Pharisees the religious people pastors me brought up a young lady to Jesus and said, hey, by the law, we have the right to stone her. She's been caught in adultery. Not the man, but the woman has been caught in adultery. And said, what are we going to do? This is the, one of the most perfect pictures and simplistic things about the gospel. And Jesus simply says this. He says, okay, if anyone here is without sin, throw the first stone. The point of this story is that only Jesus has the right to judge you. 
only Christ has the ability to tell you who you are. And in a moment, in this con- he, he has had this same conversation with every single one of you. Have none of them condemned you? She says, no. He says, and neither do I condemn you. The only one there without sin. You will often hear me say the phrase, especially in prayer and worship, there is no condemnation for those of you that are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned by God. The things that are haunting you, anger, lust, grief, depression, anxiety, your abuse, either be physical, verbal, sexual, emotional, whatever you want to call it, whatever label needs to be put on it. All of these things, Jesus simply says to you, I do not condemn you for these things. No matter what you have been caught in, no one knows what Jesus wrote on the ground that night or that day. There's different theories. Some people say it was the names of the women that the, 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 the men have had an adulterous affair with. Some say it was just their sins. Some say it was a scripture. No idea what it is. But what I do know is this. The one person who has the right to tell you who you are says, I don't condemn you and I love you. And then days later gave his life for you pay the price for you. I could preach this message every single week over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because until you can grasp the simplicity of just believing that you are loved by God, nothing else matters. Go read 1 Corinthians 13. You can do all the things. You can have all the gifts. Speak in tongues. You can do all the crazy, wonderful things that we teach, but if you do not have love and you do not have a revelation of love, it's worthless. Y'all stand to your feet. Leaders, if you will, just kind of come up front. This is what we're going to do. They're going to go back and worship. Our team is going to be up here at the front if you need to have a conversation. If you maybe just need to begin to have a conversation. Maybe you just need to go sit somewhere by yourself and have a have a converse, an honest conversation with the Lord. Whatever it is you need to do, I beg of you, do not leave this place not understanding that you are loved by God. Because until that happens, the rest of this, the rest of this is going to be built on a foundation that will not hold anything. Close your eyes. Father, I pray that tonight, Lord, in the midst of the things that have happened to some of these young people, or our pasts, the things that haunt us, God, if it be anger or grief or abuse, things that every time something good happens, we're reminded of the bad. Lord, I ask that tonight, God, that a revelation would happen in their minds most important thing that could happen for every person in this room is to stand upon a firm foundation knowing that they are made and loved and that they were bought with a high price that everything you have done Jesus everything you have done has been out of the motive of love for them you thought of them and you think of them every day 
Lord, we just pray for healing over every young person, God, for the things that have happened to them. For the young ladies that, 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 that have been yelled at and called worthless, who never, have never found value, the people that should have shown them value didn't. For the young men in the room that are emotionless, because they didn't have a mom to show them how to calm themselves down, how to actually use emotions. Lord, I pray that we would just accept what you say about us, not what our parents have said, not about what our teachers, our friends, or the world has said, but we would say yes, Jesus, to the things you call us, and you call us your child. You call us loved. You call us redeemed. That is who we are. We love Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for downloading today's message. Again, we hope that it encouraged you, blessed you, and edified you. If you are a high school, middle school, or even a uh, young adult in the Panama City area, we would love to have you come be a part of our services at High Praise Panama City. Our YTH services are every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. The mix, our pre-service time, starts at 5 o'clock. We would love to have you out. If not, find a way to connect with us on Instagram at hp.yth. We would love to connect with you in some way, and God bless.